Welcome. Uh, my name is Brett Johnson. I'm one of uh, six pastor elders here. I thought Jesse was going to say the man, the myth, the mustache about about B Hall. Yeah, you can't, you can't see it. Um, so uh, glad to have you with us. So so just a little, just a reminder about what we're doing. Uh, we have two more weeks in First John, so that'll be this week and next week. The following week, we will be doing, uh, you know, the week after next week, we'll be uh, in Romans. So we'll be finishing up Romans. So those who have been patiently trudging our way through Romans together, we will finish Romans. And then uh, we're going to do a, a, a series on race, justice, and the gospel. So that should be, um, you know, very timely and interesting. So uh, we, we will be diving into that. Um, so, so, so be ready for that. Then we're going to do a, a major prophet, probably Jeremiah or Isaiah. We got to, you know, make our cases for which one we're going to do amongst the guys who decide what to preach. So, um, some are arguing for Jeremiah, myself, and others are arguing for Isaiah. So, you know, we'll figure it out. Okay. So let me let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into uh, our our text for the day. We will not have the Bible on the screen behind us. We want to encourage you to have your own Bible or a Bible app, so that way, as you guys finish up. Um, you know, as you guys, excuse me, as you guys are reading, you guys can take those notes with you and take all that with you so that you're in the word for yourself. Let me pray for us, and then we will dive into our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we, um, we praise you. We praise you that we can gather. Uh, we, we pray that, that this pandemic will stop, that we will be able to lay down our masks one day and burn them and never have to wear them again. And uh, we just pray that you would, would in your grace uh, and in your speed, uh, you would hasten the day where we could be together, uh, where we could be assembled as the people of God, uh, like we remember and, and so look forward to. So Lord, do that. Lord, we pray over this morning as we dive into your word, would you awaken us to, uh, to what you are doing and, and how you want to uh, work and change our hearts and our minds and our thinking. Lord, meet us as we dive into your word here in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, change us, move us, grow us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. We're going to do verses 6 through 12. Let me read this for us, and then we'll kind of start to talk about what, what kind of John's theme is. So this is 1 John 5, starting in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God, has the testimony in himself whoever does not believe god has made uh, does not believe god excuse me has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that god has borne concerning his son and this is the testimony that god gave us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of god does not have life this is the word of the Lord this morning. So, this morning, we essentially are calling to the witness stand three eyewitness testimonies. We have three witnesses who've come to testify, and I want to call to order 
We have this in the pulpit. I thought I'd use it. Uh, call to order our eyewitness testimonies. John is using this picture and this language, and it's actually kind of an interesting and strange picture, but it's three witnesses for these three that testify, verse 7 tells us, agree. The spirit, the water, and the blood. So I'd love to call our first witness to the stand to give his account. So the first witness that we have this morning to make his case and to build his testimony is the spirit. Now I want to be clear, the spirit is not a force. You know, don't go looking for Obi-Wan or Luke Skywalker. This is not some sort of impersonal thing. He is a person. The Spirit stands to testify. And so my question that I pose the Spirit this morning is, what, on what grounds do you get to testify? And his response to us, we find beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you go and read the very first words of the entire Bible, it says this, in the beginning, right? In the beginning what? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Little, little uh, nod to our second witness, but the first testament that we see here, the first witness account that we have is from the Spirit. This is the pre-existent third person of the Trinity. He is there at creation. And then we go to John 1. Go flip with me. We're going to do some work and some time here in John 1. John 1 makes this point very clear. So at the beginning, we see in the beginning God, and we see the Spirit of God specifically hovering over the waters. And then John parallels that language when he starts his gospel. He says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So I want to be really clear here. This is one of the things I want you to get out of this sermon and, and understand. John and the scriptures are very clear that God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is divine. Jesus is divine. Look at this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what I want us to see too is that we see here in verse 3, all things were made through him, right? So we see that God is, uh, Jesus is there at the beginning, he is there at creation, and he is even one of the agents of creation. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So what we are seeing here, our first testimony of our first witness is saying this is the spirit who's hovering over the deep, hovering over the waters. He is watching Jesus, the pre-incarnate son, create and, uh, and start life at the very beginning. He is the agent of creation. We see in Colossians 1, right? All things are made through him, and all things are made for him, right? And all things are made by him. So we see Jesus who is present at creation. And so what better witness do we have than the spirit who is present, who is saying, I am here and I am watching Jesus do his work of initiating life, right? Because we saw in verse 11, 
of, of our text this morning, right? That the testimony is that this life is through the Son. This life comes from the Son. It comes by faith in Him. And so what a better place to come than the place that the Spirit gives testimony to as He watches the Son in the work of creation, that Jesus is there. But then who also is present in the Matthew narrative? The virgin birth. This is one of those kind of, there's some strange things in our, in our faith. We go, what's what? Why? The virgin shall conceive and have a child, and they will call his name Emmanuel. What's happening there? If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you will see it's actually the Holy Spirit who then visits Mary and is the one who gives testament to not only was Jesus there at creation, but the Spirit also testifies to the divinity and the origin of how it is that God became man, how it is that, that Yahweh became Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate in the Son. And so we have the, the Spirit who gives witness to creation and gives witness to the virgin birth. It gives witness to the actual conception of Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man. And so we see that the Spirit stands as the one who bears witness in the spiritual realms. He is the eternal witness. He knew Jesus before the world began, and he has watched Jesus unfold in the work of the gospel into the very being and one that we worship and admire and revere and look upon the throne. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's this one that the Spirit bears witness to, right? And this is the one that when we think about the work of the Spirit, when you go to John 14, which we've been referencing, what does the Spirit do in the life of the believer? Jesus says, the Spirit, the helper that I send you, he will cause you to remember all that I have said. All that I have done, the Spirit will bring to your mind. So the Spirit is continually bearing witness to who Jesus is. He's continually speaking and bearing witness and testimony to the truth and the reality and the weight of the person of Jesus. This is the testimony of our first witness, the Spirit. It's an eternal testimony. Now, he makes an interesting transition. So our first witness stands to confess that life always has come from Jesus. Jesus has been present as life has been perpetuated, created, sustained, and now as recreation, new life, new birth, new creation. All of that, as all of that happens, it is happening by the work of Jesus. So, our first witness, we have his testimony. I'd like to uh, have that put to the record, please. Note the testimony of our first witness, but we have a second and a third. Look at the second witness. Witness number two, what do you say for yourself? What do you have to say about Jesus, and how is it that you, O oh, second witness, are able to bear witness to this Jesus? After all, you're only water, right? Look at what it says. This is verse, I'm just reading the text here. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. Our second witness, the water. Water, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, the water would like to make reference to witnesses one's record and say, hey, you remember that that you said, witness one, about 
beginning of all things? Well, who else is there at the beginning of creation? The language is kind of interesting, very poetic. It's very, it's kind of odd. You have the, the spirit. He is there, but who also is there is the water. The water who is bearing witness to who Jesus is. He is watching and being created and being, you know, he, he is, he is literally flowing forth from the person of God, the water. This is the same water that we see, right? That, that we see a creation. We see in the ex, Exodus narrative, the same water that, that obeys the power of Yahweh and splits and splits the sea. And, the, and as you think, as, as all of Israel is, is walking through the Exodus narrative, what stands in massive walls on either side? It's the water bearing witness to the power and the wonder of God. The same water that as he strikes the rock, we're, we're told in Corinthians, that water flows forth. And what is this rock? It's Jesus, right? It's this, this water flowing forth from God to sustain the people of God. It's the same water that we see in uh, Joshua, the Joshua narrative when they cross the Jordan. And, and there it stands to bear witness to the person of Jesus. And then we see the same idea, right? unfold throughout the scriptures as God is using his creation to speak and bear witness of who he is. But I think specifically the author has a couple of things in mind when he talks about the water, which really we wouldn't want to talk about. Go to John 3, the water of the womb. The water of the womb is one of the primary things he has in mind when we think about the water bearing witness. Again, I keep referencing the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, and there's this conversation happening where Nicodemus in chapter 4 says, how can a man be born when he is old? And then Jesus responds in verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of what? Of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he kind of explains himself, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So again, there's kind of two major historical views with understanding what the, the water and the blood are referencing. And, and one of them, which I think we want to see, is that the, the water of the womb, as, as Jesus is being born, uh, the, the breaking of the amniotic fluid, if you want to get a little graphic, a little clinical. You know, our, our uh, labor and delivery nurse in the room is like, yeah, that's, 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 that's how it happens. There's lots of fluids happening. He's born of the water. Right, that, that he actually, because one of the things I, I want to make sure you get is we're talking about one of the things I said so far is that we want to make sure that we see the divinity of the Son. But one of the things that has happened historically when we talk about Jesus, the divine Son, is people want to say there's no way the divine Son could have had a physical body. There's no way that he could have been real flesh and blood. He must have been an apparition, a, a manifestation, or a ghost of some kind. He only looked human. This text goes very clearly to say, to echo the words he said in, in chapter 4 about he being of, in the flesh, right? By this we know uh, the Spirit of God. This is uh, 1 John 4. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There is a lot of false teaching over the years that mischaracterizes who Jesus is. They want to flatten the mystery. How can he be God and man? Well, that, that doesn't seem to jive. Let's just make him one or the other. And yet the scriptures are very clear that Jesus was born flesh and blood. He was born of the water. The water of the womb gives testament to his humanity, that he was both God and man. There's another uh, way the water bears witness, and that's the water of baptism. Water, we see this kind of strange thing happen where it's like, why does Jesus, right, the God in the flesh, why does he need to be baptized? All of you people, and myself included, we're knuckleheads. 
right? No offense, unless, you know, you need to take offense. But, right, we, we're all knuckleheads, so we, we need pictures and ways of understanding. I need to be baptized to be cleansed of my sin. It's a picture of me getting washed by Jesus, but why does Jesus need baptism? Well, it's this portrait and this way that the Spirit of God comes to rest on Jesus in a special way by baptism. Again, our first witness coming into the testimony of the second witness. This is, if you want a reference, is from John 1, and 34, where the Spirit of God descends right like a dove. He says, uh, behold my son with whom I'm well pleased. And it says, and the spirit rested on him and did not depart from him. So this is where Jesus, the divine son, receives the spirit in a special way, often, or not often, like we do. Okay? So we have the spirit is the first witness. The water is the second witness. That the water bears witness to Jesus is God in the flesh. He is born of woman and yet comes from heaven. And so, the testimony of the water is that life comes only through the Son. These three all agree. So we have the testimony of our first witness, the Spirit. We have the testimony of our second witness, the water. Often those two go together, right? We think about baptism and baptism of the Spirit and kind of the way that those portraits work together. There's often uh, uh, an co-mingling of the Spirit and His work in the waters, right? That's a whole other theological discussion that could be had about uh, the, the role of baptism. But we have the Spirit, the water, and then thirdly, we have the blood. Now, this is not ambiguous, and this is not confused. This is clear that when they came and they took Jesus and they bound his hands and they took him on the processional to the cross, when they struck the man and he bled, it is showing over and over and over that Jesus was a man, flesh and blood, a spirit cannot be crucified. He must have been God in the flesh in order to pay for sin by what? By blood. I think about Hebrews, which says, the blood of Jesus, this goes to the testimony of the blood, cries out a better word than the blood of Abel. When you go read the Genesis narrative, Genesis 3 and 4, the fall happens. Genesis 4, the first murder happens. Cain, who, who is frustrated and jealous at his brother, slays his brother, and then Cain is curious and, and, and kind of baffled at how it is that God knows that Cain has killed Abel. You know, God is God, but what God says in response is, I heard your brother's blood crying out from the earth. And so what we see here in the blood is that the blood of Jesus, this is Hebrews 12, cries out a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus is, is crying out about the eternal, sufficient work that he does in crucifixion and in resurrection. So when we, when we look at the crucifixion narrative, when we read of the story and we are told of what was done on our behalf, we see a story of a man pierced 
for our transgression, and then there is a spurting and a spilling of blood onto the ground that Jesus is pouring out his blood. He is scourged, and he is adorned with a, 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 a crown of thorns where they embed it into his skull, and the blood is rushing down, and that blood is being shed on our behalf. That blood is being spilled on the earth, and that blood says something to us. It bears witness. Those that were confused before the cross need not be. Those who look upon the cross of Christ cannot look upon the cross of Christ and say, there is not sin in this world. Those who look upon the cross of Christ cannot say, there is There's no hope because when we look at the cross of Christ, we see blood being spilled so that mercy can be fulfilled. And so we as a gospel people, we as those who who listen to the testimony of the witnesses, these aren't the only witnesses. They are the three that John highlights today, but there's a greater cloud of witnesses. And they have been echoing through the ages. And so when we get to this last witness, as those echoes cry out across the millennia, we, we hear the dripping of this blood, and we see it spilled. And when the world looks upon Christ and they say, why would he need to be crucified? Why? We are told, I think about Hebrews, we're over and over, We do not get the forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, right? Hebrews 9, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. How could the perfect God-man, God in the flesh, born of a virgin who knew no sin, how could he who knew no sin become sin? How is it that he would take it on himself? Why would that happen? This third witness bears testimony to say someone needed payment for what they had done and someone was willing to pay it. And that's why when we read verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 John and it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son, we can say amen and praise God and I did not deserve it, but God in his grace gave it to me. And so as I hear the witness of the spirit and as I hear the witness of the water and as I hear unequivocally blood-stained stamp, the witness of the blood, I find hope and I find rest, and I marvel every hour I look upon the gospel of Christ to say, why would he, with such grace and with such mercy, spill such blood on my behalf? We cannot refute the testimony of these three agreeing witnesses that when we see the blood of the crucifixion, we must ask why. And then I think of that song that we sing, it was my sin that held him there. People often want to change that lyric because it sounds a little dark. Welcome 
to crucifixion. Without your sin and mine, we need not the blood. But you and I uh, are those who wear stained clothes. You and I are those who have stained souls. You and I are those who need washing that only the blood of the perfect lamb, right, which Hebrews in chapter 13 calls the eternal blood of the covenant. Only by that blood, not your blood, not, not the blood of goats and bulls or doves or lizards or crabs or anything else for that matter, is going to pay the sufficient price, only the blood. Only our third witness can bear that kind of testimony, that we are a people of hope because of the blood. Now, here's an interesting thing. As the blood is spilled and as he, as he breathes his last and he says, it is finished, meaning that your eternity was sealed and set and fully paid upon the cross. He paid the price in full. It is finished, breathes his last. He's laid in the tomb. And for three days, right, he lays in the land of the dead. And then on resurrection day, that heart somewhere in there starts beating again. And the blood of Jesus is still doing its work. It does not end. It does not cease. Again, note what kind of life we've been invited to. Not good life only. Not merely good life. Not merely full life, not merely peaceful life, not merely restful life, not, not merely those things. It's eternal life, which many theologians want to rightly emphasize. This isn't just about a time period, as if eternal just means it just goes on for a long time. We can just put the infinity insignia that we all learned in you know, whatever class that was, math class along the way, and that's what that means. That's not what that's talking about. That's a part of it. He is talking about the kind of life that we get. It's eternal. It is unending. It is unbreakable. It is, it is this life that is secured by the eternal blood of the covenant that we now have a fullness and a richness and a delightfulness that comes by this kind of life. And it would be madness to think that if, if God offered that kind of life, when we say, what does he mean? And then what he can do is he points to the cross and to the resurrection. This is the kind of life that we've been invited into. Jesus rose from the dead and said, come and live like I live in eternity. So there are those who would say, objection! I object to these witnesses. Often that's my heart objecting to these witnesses. Often it's the evil one throwing out accusations and, and trying to get me to doubt and get me to worry and get me to wonder. Uh, I, I think about last night. I don't know if this happens to you. It happens to me where I go to bed, everything's fine at 9.30, but then at one in the morning, everything seems a little bit less fine, a little bit less settled. The objections seem way louder, way more true, way more real. How are we to overrule these objections? Well, this is what John is challenging us to. This is really our application. There's two things we do with this text, at least two things. The first is we hear. Because look at what it says in verse 10. 
Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, right? So we've been talking about it, that if, if we believe upon Jesus, if we believe upon the eternal son, if we believe upon him, that we will receive in us when we are born again, the spirit, verse 13 of chapter four, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The first witness is in us. So we have the first witness in us, and then we are a people who go through our own waters of baptism and who partake of our own blood of the covenant as we partake of communion on a weekly basis. Not just a symbol. It's at least that. It's a a little mini banquet of celebration every week as we are reminded of the witness and the testimony of the blood of Jesus. So we are to be a people who cultivate hearing. And he is in us. So I think about these nights where I'm there, what are we to do and we're all alone and we have nowhere else to turn as those who follow after Jesus, we need to listen to the testimony of the spirit that says, Jesus has already dealt with all of this. You have overcome the world. You have victory in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in this world. You have your eternity. Sure, fear not, my son. We need to cultivate this hearing. We need to be surrounded by people who bear witness. We need to be surrounded by music that bears witness. We need to be surrounded by literature that bears witness. We need to have the gospel spoken constantly to us and through us. So we hear, but we also herald. We hear and we herald. We cannot herald if we are not hearing. We have to be those who are receiving and hearing what he is saying and then be those who go and speak of that. And here, here, here is the, here's one of the biggest ironies in my own life. You know the place that I get the most encouragement in the gospel is my own mouth. Now, I know I have a big one and I use it all the time. But as you're sitting there looking in the eyes of a brother or sister who is going through a difficult, anxiety, depression, uh, a lament-filled season of their life, you know where we most often will hear the gospel as believers is often out of our own mouths as we're encouraging our brothers and sisters to say, let us fix our eyes. Let us together fix our eyes on Jesus. He is here and he wants to work and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk here with you and I'm going to have a front row seat to how God wants to show up in your world. Let us lit- listen to the witness of the Spirit. But it often comes out of our own lives, our own speaking. And then the strangest thing happens is you, you speak encouragement to another and you leave encouraged. So we are those who hear of the testimony of these three witnesses among others. And we are those who herald the testimony as well. As we live this reality, as we are those who are hearing the encouragement and we, we are we're being nourished and cared for by the Spirit of God as we are in the Word of God and with the people of God, as that's happening, as we're able to do things like persevere, as we're able to do things like, like walk faithfully, and then people say, how does this work? And then you say, let me tell you about the eternal Son. And then we be, get to be people who are constantly giving glory to our king because we know it wasn't our blood. We we know the water didn't come from me. 
We, we know that the Spirit is doing his work, right? That he began in us, that he will bring on to completion, that it's not up to me. God is doing it, and so we give glory and we give praise and we herald the gospel of Christ and how sufficient and hope-filled we are as a people comes from our view of what he has done. So, let us hear and herald the hope that we have in Christ because we have these witnesses that that assure us that this, this testimony is true and it's trustworthy and it's good. We have on good uh, accord. We have it on good account. We have it on, on record. May the record show this morning that true and faithful witnesses have come and they've spoken to us beautiful and life, eternal life-giving words. And what God is calling us to say is, hear it, delight in it, be born again. And this eternal life is now what we get to walk in. So let us do that as we delight in the work that Jesus has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you, you didn't have to send witnesses, but you did. In your grace, you ordained that, that many would come. The water and the blood and the spirit and, and, and the prophets and the apostles and the word of God and angels and creation. The skies declare the glory of the Lord. All these witnesses you have sent because you are a God who speaks and a God of grace and a God of pursuit that you in your beauty have sought out that we would know who you are. That we would believe upon you, that we would enter into relationship with you, that we would be born again. Lord, you are too good to us. Lord, would you take our bitterness and our frustration and turn it into praise and gratitude that you are so good that you are constantly testifying about your goodness even when we're not listening. Lord, would you help us to hear and to herald this week of all the good that you have done on our behalf, even on our dark days. Your Son and your grace and your glory shine through because you have rescued us. We praise you, Lord, for all that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.